from Kurtco Media. This is Cars That Matter. This is Robert Ross with another episode of Cars That Matter. And today, my guest is Wayne Carini. Everybody knows Wayne. Wayne's the host of Chasing Classic Cars, an incredibly popular program about finding gems in the rough. Wayne's also owner of F40 Motorsports in Portland, Connecticut. I'm going to call that his day job. And what a job it is. Wayne, welcome to the program. Very nice to be with you. Obviously, we're talking coast to coast. I'm here in Los Angeles, and you're on the eastern side of the U.S. and we're doing this by way of Zoom, so it's not in the studio, but it allows some long-distance conversation, really in much the same way that you probably deal with so many of the collectors nowadays. Things have certainly changed for all of us in the way that we communicate and the way that the auctions are being held. We have virtual car shows. Everything's changed slightly, but hopefully it's just for a short period of time. We'll talk about some of those things, both the short-term effects and maybe some of the long-term positive benefits that come from this. It's hard to imagine there are but there actually might be. But instead of going forward in time, let's go back in time for a second. Let me just ask you the obvious question. You've had a lifetime love affair with cars, full classics, post-war sports and racing cars, and probably even some modern collectibles. How did this car fixation begin, Wayne? I was born into it. My father was founder of the Model A Restorers Club of America back in 1951, the year I was born. Cars were basically in our family from the beginning. And then my dad restored cars for a living whether it was Duesenbergs or Packards or Model A's or Buicks, whatever they were, my cousin built hot rods in a lean-to next to my father's shop. And then a mile up the road was Candy Pool Sports Car Shop, where they had about every type of sports car in the world. And Candy Pool was a very famous race car driver. So there was race cars, Ferraris, Maseratis, Oscars, every type of car. Boy, that was rare stuff back then. And I think that's how I got my passion for everything to do with automobiles. I was brought up on every type of automobile. Well, that's quite a broad swath. You talk about your dad restoring everything from Model A's to Duesenberg's. There couldn't be a wider gulf between those two. And it's interesting you mentioned that. Let's drill down into that for just a second, Wayne. I often wonder, the Model A was such a ubiquitous machine. Obviously, the Model T and then the Model A put Henry Ford on the map with a little company we call the Blue Oval. But all the guys that actually treasured those cars and restored them and kept them alive for so many decades when they were well past their prime. It's very rare to see those cars any longer. They sort of seem to have almost evaporated off the surface of the earth. They've become pretty popular again, though, in that they were an affordable way to get into the hobby. And you could basically build a Model A Ford today from a catalog. So because of the ease of getting the parts and the ease of the restoration and the fun factor uh, with the driving aspect of it, I mean, these cars are a lot of fun to drive, easy to own, reasonably priced. So we see Model A's actually holding their value and, and even increasing somewhat in value. That's a great harbinger of things to come then because they really were sort of the cornerstone of the collector hobby back before guys could afford their full classics and all the fancy stuff from Europe. <laughs> I started going to Hershey with my dad in 1957. I was six years old. I think Hershey started either in 55 or 56. So it was either the first year, second year, and then probably the third year I was there. It became part of our family. 
my dad created the Model A Restorers Club. He'd just come out of the service in like 48 and a gentleman brought him a Model A Ford to do some paint work on and he restored it to perfection for the gentleman, brought it to a local car show in 1950 and they wouldn't let him show it because they said that's just some old used car. That's nothing special. And he got upset about that and went home and created the Model A Restores Club of America, which there's thousands of people all over the world still supporting that club. That's fantastic. Obviously, an early DNA marker for Wayne, who got the bug early and started hunting down not just parts at Hershey, but full cars. You're kind of known as a car hunter. Chasing classic cars is your show. There must be something about the hunt that really gets to you, that really grabs you. We say that it's all about the chase, and that's sort of the tagline of the show. And that's the exciting part of it sometimes. And you finally chase a car and you finally buy it. My father was always on the hunt for cars. We'd go on Sunday rides with my dad and look behind every house and every garage door that was open, hoping to find that little treasure. And then, of course, reading Hemmings Motor News and going over that every time it came out. That's all we had back then. Yeah, we had the New York Times, the LA Times, and Hemmings Motor News. And that was about your way of finding out. And then, of course, my dad would write letters and it would take weeks for correspondence to go back and forth. And it's so funny today, we don't have correspondence with somebody within six or seven minutes. If they don't answer you back, you're getting all upset. Well, what's the matter? How come he's not answering me back? So it's a totally <laughs> different lifestyle, but it's still the passion is there. And that's really the best part. Well, certainly finding the previously undiscovered is sort of the magic elixir of youth that keeps car collectors and car hunters young. Sometimes, of course, the cars are in plain sight. You may know where a car is and you may have an owner that you've been corresponding with. It's almost like asking a girl out on a date after about the 10th or 15th time you finally get the message. She doesn't want to go out with you. So you may know where a car is and a guy says, not for sale, not for sale, not for sale. But guess what? Someday it's going to be for sale. Never give up. I've done some crazy things just recently, actually, probably about seven or eight years ago. I found a Lamborghini in Chicago, and it was found by the postman that was delivering the mail, and he called me. I went out, and I met with the gentleman, and he said it wasn't for sale. And I said, well, have you ever seen my TV show? He says, no, I don't know who you are, actually. I said, well, why don't you turn your cable TV on? He said, I don't have cable TV. I barely have a television. I said, do you have a DVR player? He says, no. So I bought him a DVR player. The postman went over and installed it for him. And he watched my show. I sent him a box of discs. And he called me up. He says, that's a pretty interesting show. How do I see more? I said, we well, get cable. Well, I'm not paying for cable. So I paid for his cable for four years <laughs> so he wouldn't forget me when he was getting ready to sell the car. Every month, my wife would say, why are we paying this bill for this cable for this guy in Chicago? I said, don't worry, it'll pay off. That is hysterical. What a story. Well, you've got to tell me, what kind of Lamborghini was it? It was a Miura. And unfortunately, the mailman found an investor to invest it with him, and they bought it together and cut me out of the deal 100%. Good heavens. And it's funny, he says, you know, there's only one person that's going to buy this car someday, and that's Jay Leno. And I said, well, I don't think Jay is going to be interested in it. No, 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 really. So I said, well, let's call him and see if he's interested. I said, I know Jay's got a couple of these cards. He, he doesn't really need another one. And so I got Jay on the phone and he says, sir, I really don't want to buy your car, but that guy, Wayne, he'd be a great candidate for your car. And he gets off the phone, he hands me the phone back and he says, that really wasn't Leno, was it? 
I go, yes, it was. <laughs> I couldn't convince this guy of anything. Oh, man. Well, that may be one of those cases where no good deed goes unpunished. But I know you've done some good deeds because you've probably found people some treasures. In a lot of ways, you're kind of like the Antiques Roadshow. You're able to help people with their discoveries and help them understand what they've got sometimes. That's right. And when I'm buying a car, I always tell people, I said, it's got to be fair for me and it's got to be fair for you. And that's how I've always dealt with my complete business attitude. And it's always paid off. We want to be able to meet up with people five years later and they're still happy about the deal and I'm still happy. Exactly. And of course, you know what really goes into it because buying the car is just the first step in a long series of financial decisions you've got to make before that car actually goes to a new owner. We'll talk about that in a minute because man, it can get complicated and sometimes it can go real sideways. That's right. And every one is not a winner. I can tell you that. And we, <laughs> show that on our TV show where I'll take cars to an auction and it won't get what I'm expecting. And people say, how can you show that, that you lost money on a car? I say, because it's reality. Sorry, you don't win every time. That's right. It's like going to Las Vegas. Auctions are a gamble sometimes. I've been very lucky in my life, but the meaning of luck is when opportunity meets preparation. So when you're prepared and somebody gives you an opportunity, that's my meaning of luck. And I was given an opportunity to do this show. So we all know Donald Osborne, I'm sure. Oh, sure. Donald's a great guy. What a class act. Yeah. So Donald and I've been friends for about 45 years. He wrote an article about the Hudson Italia that I bought. Oh, you're an Italia guy. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I bought this Hudson Italia in the town that I live in. And I chased it since I was 16 years old. And I bought it when I was 52. I kept after that car and finally got able to buy it. Donald wrote that story and it was called First Love. And it appeared in the New York Times. And Jim, the founder of my production company, read that article on Sunday and called me on Monday morning and said, I'd like to do a TV show about you. Can I come up and talk to you? And he came to my office an hour later. We talked for 15 minutes and he said, all I want to do is follow you around with the camera. And I said, yeah, well, that's fine. How much does it pay? And he says, it doesn't pay anything, but you never know what can happen. I do shows for Discovery Channel and I'm going to film you and hopefully we can make a TV show out of it. From that day, it's been almost 17 years that he got the camera out of the car. And we're now in 52 countries around the world, and we've done over 200 episodes. It's an amazing thing. I was given this opportunity, and I'm very, very lucky to have that. Just want to make sure that people knew how it happened. I was just a lucky person. Well, that's a remarkable story, and it all started with a Hudson Italia. And then having the knowledge, people always say to me, how do you know so much about cars? And the analogy is, is that, well, you go to the train station to pick your mother up and 500 people get off the train. How do you know which one's your mother? You just know. And so over the years, you absorb this stuff from my cousin building hot rods, the candy pool sports car shop, my dad and all of his friends and stuff. And you sort of suck it all in and you can't explain how you know it. You just know it. It's been a good life and I've been very fortunate. Well, we've enjoyed watching you on TV. You've had to have some really surprising and rewarding discoveries. Can you let us in on a couple that were just absolutely mind-blowing, out-of-the-park discoveries? The best one was the Stutz Bearcat in Statesboro, Georgia, a 1921 Stutz Bearcat. That's an important car for our audience to understand. That's a really important collector car. It was parked in the garage in 1931, and the head taken off of it, and it never moved until I purchased it, and that was about eight or nine years ago. 
was a serviceman that was out hunting on this gentleman's 300-acre plantation. And he stopped at the house to see if he could go out hunt turkey. And he said, by the way, do you have any old cars? And he says, well, yeah, I got this old car. Come on, let me show you. What is it? Oh, it's a Stutz. So he went in the garage. He saw the car. He said, is this a Stutz Bearcat? And the gentleman says, yeah, I'd like to sell it if you know anybody that's interested. Well, I got a phone call that evening from the gentleman. You were always skeptical when somebody said a Stutz Bearcat. You figure it's got to be a Volkswagen or something like that. Right, exactly. With a fiberglass body on it. He sent me pictures finally, and it was a real Stutz Bearcat. I asked when I could see it. Could I come tomorrow morning? So he set it up, and two days later, we were there. And I knew I was going to purchase the car. It was just a matter of how much I had to pay for it. We came to an agreement, and I had called a friend of mine from Savannah, and I said, I'm going to meet with this guy at 9. I'm going to own the car by 10. I'm going to wire him the money and by 11 o'clock I want you there with your trailer so when we got all done with the deal and the money was in his bank account I said now can I take the car he says absolutely I said well I have a friend in Savannah I'm gonna call and he'll be here in a little while well I called him he pulled down the driveway five minutes later because he was sitting at the end of the driveway waiting for that phone call from me because I wanted to get it out of there before he changed his mind and selling it man that's like trying to rescue hostages because yeah sometimes there is a little bit bit of seller's remorse involved, huh? That's exactly right. So he says, this is the fastest trip from Savannah I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Well, it sure paid off. And what a great discovery. You mentioned the head had been taken off 10 years after the car was parked. And those are sometimes the serendipitous favors that well-intentioned owners do for their cars. And it's the only thing that saves them. Yeah. I just bought two weeks ago a 1932 Ford Roadster with 27,000 miles on it, completely original paint. The stripe is still on it, everything, the interior. And the gentleman parked it in 1955 and decided he was going to do a restoration on it and never got to it. Took the headlights off and that was it. Does a car like that get basically sympathetically recommissioned, as we'd say, or does it go to somebody that wants to actually take it down to the bare metal? No, this car will stay in our collection. We're going to wake it up again. Mm -hmm. It's been sleeping for a while, so we're going to wake it back up. And we'll clean it just ever so slightly, not to remove any of the patina and use it. Most 32 Fords out there, if they haven't been restored, they've been hot rodded. Yeah, they get turned into donors. Right. And so to find a car that's just been loved and been in the family for all this period of time, it's really something to find. The greatest advertisement in the world is television. So when people hear my name and they track me down and I used to really have to hunt for cars, now they seem to find me. Well, in addition to chasing the cars, though, Wayne, you do have a day job, as I alluded to. You've got F40 Motorsports and you restore cars there. F40 actually started in 1973 as a restoration and auto body shop. And it wasn't known as F40 until I owned an F40 one day and started a sales business and called it F40 motorsports. Ferrari's first supercar. Yeah, what a fabulous car. And then we expanded and got into full-time restoration business 10 years ago. But during a period of time from 73 until the late 2000s, I was just doing mostly Ferrari restorations and got very well known for the quality of our work. And so just expanded and here we are. Is it too broad a brush to paint to take us through a restoration? A quick elevator pitch on what a restoration really entails. 
one of the most important things in a restoration is research before you start taking things apart. So you research the car, you really look it all over from top to bottom and get a feel as to what it is. And it's so important, especially in a car that's never been touched before, to make sure that you're finding some nuances, the real history of the car. A lot of photographs go into it, a lot of thought process, and then you start taking it apart, seeing what we really have to work with. It's quite a project. A normal restoration can take a year and a half to two years. That's right. And then, of course, the biggest thing is having a date that you have to get it done by. So it's that pressure date. Pebble Beach is going to go to Amelia Island. You have to have that because it can drag on forever. We work best under pressure. We were doing our Amelia car this year. Thursday night at six o'clock, it left for Amelia. We had a trucker just drive straight from here on Thursday night, met us down there, and it did very well. It won its class. It's exciting, especially for the client. What car was that, Wayne? I'm curious. It's called a Godsell. Lord Godsell in the mid-30s built this car as a race car, and it is by far one of the most beautiful cars ever built. Of course, a body and just fabulous looking car. But it had been restored improperly the first three times it was restored, they kept adding things to it. The car pure as it was built in 1934 was just a gorgeous car. And that's the research that took to make it what it is today. Well, certainly research is what it's all about. When it comes to Ferraris, of course, there are a lot of nuances with the older cars. More recent, later Enzo era cars are pretty much step and repeat. But when it comes to some of the rare early Italian cars from the 50s and first part of the 60s, what are your favorites to work on? Obviously, Ferrari are a specialty. Is there a favorite model that you really have enjoyed working with? We've done a lot of 275 Ferraris, and that seems to be our forte's restoring 275s. My favorite car in the world is a 250 short wheelbase. That's a fabulous car. But probably one of my favorites is the 365. It's a car that's got a center steering. So it's called a monoposto and center steering car picture of vintage McLaren so that it looks like a big Dino. That's right. That car sold at Gooding a couple of years ago. When I was a young man, my father used to drive me down to Greenwich, Connecticut for me to look in the Ferrari window when I was a young kid. And that car was sitting in the basement. And I always said, my gosh, that's unbelievable that a car has got a steering wheel in the middle, like a race car, but yet it's got seats on either side of the driver. Probably it was about 20 years ago, Luigi Canetti, who I became very good friends with, called me and said, I want you to restore the P and we're going to go to Meadowbrook. And I said, oh, that's great. we got a year. He says, no, no, Meadowbrook this year in eight weeks. <laughs> so we put four guys on it. And basically all we really had to do was paint the car, disassemble it, strip it, and paint it. We never got the engine in for that show. It was funny if we showed it without the engine and we put sandbags in the back. Well, just like Ferruccio Lamborghini with his first car. That's right. And we put black cloth inside the wheel well so nobody could see in and see that there was no engine in the car. Sergio Pinaferina was there and we wanted to have the car there because he was the guy that penned the car. So. What a remarkable story. Probably one of the greatest moments of me showing a car was with that car. Pebble Beach, of course, is one of the greatest car shows in the world. And to show one of your restorations at Pebble Beach, to be able to drive that car on the lawn at Pebble with my wife on one side of me and my best friend on the other side of me was quite a thrill. You have those moments sometimes. What a great story. I'm afraid we have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. If you're like us, you're looking for a way to make stay at home a little more special. Well, we're going to let you in on our secret. 
Join Rob Vices to get luxury cocktail kits, toys, tools, tech, and other incredible items delivered straight to your home on a monthly basis. The value is incredible. Your first box is going to be a $400 tequila curation, and you can sign up for as little as $99 a month. Use the code PODCAST, and you'll save an extra $50 at sign up. So head to robvices.com to bring exciting experiences safely to your door. Remember, use the code PODCAST and go to robbvices.com. We're back with Wayne Carini. Obviously, you've got some less rarefied cars that you drive on the street. What are a couple of your favorites to look at and drive and just enjoy? We have a fairly extensive collection of every type of car. One of my favorite cars is our 26 Bentley three-liter touring car. Really enjoy as a family going in that car. One of the best driving cars to have an experience, a real driving experience though, is a 65 Shelby GT350. We've got chassis number 150 and I'll tell you, what an experience driving that car. Feels like a race car. It vibrates, it sounds great, it handles fantastic, it's got plenty of power, it's not overpowered. You're breaking my heart. I recently sold mine. I would have to agree with you. One of the quintessential sports cars ever made. It's so funny. For years, everybody sort of poo-pooed the whole deal and said, oh, it's just a Mustang. You know, what's everybody getting excited about? Wouldn't you rather have a 289 Cobra or 427 Cobra? Yeah, those are nice. But to me, that Mustang is just fabulous. They're selling at a really good rate of money these days, and it's good to see all that. My favorite car at the moment, though, is I just bought a 2020 Corvette. Took delivery of that in March, and I have a Dodge Demon. Everything is for a different reason. Mm -hmm. So I've got a Dodge Demon that's only got 170 miles on it. The only thing I really love doing with that is taking people out and seeing their reaction when their head gets pinned against the headrest. My grandson loves to driving that, but we only go in short drives. And then for comfort and for just driving and having a great time, the Corvette is unbelievable what they've done with that car. It's nose to nose with anything from Italy or out of McLaren. I'm so proud of the company. Ed Welburn was such a driving force with getting that car to be manufactured and pushing for that for years. And Ed's such a great guy. He's a great friend of mine. And then Mark Rausch, who's another good friend of mine, is the president of the company. It all falls together with great car guys making these things happen. I'm very proud of Chevrolet for what they've done. I was at a dinner across the table from Ed before the car came out a few years ago. It was a Cadillac dinner, actually. And naturally, we started talking about mid-engine Corvettes. And it was clear that that was definitely top of mind. Yeah, that, that car was going to be a reality. What's really good, though, about the cars that I collect is everyone is different. Sometimes people collect something of the same mark. They'll have all Porsches, they'll have all Ferraris. And that's good. But to me, that gets a little boring. I just bought a 1909 Baker Electric. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted an electric car. I have a steam car, I have a locomobile, 1900s locomobile. So you want to get those sensations and those different driving experiences. And there's nothing like having something different to take out. It's really true. It would be as if someone had an aquarium with all the same species of fish inside. What thrill is that? You want to actually see some variety and you want to be able to enjoy all the different shapes and sizes and colors and the different sensations. In my collection, I really love all my original cars. I'm a fanatic about originality. Mm -hmm. I have a great 54 Studebaker Starliner Coupe that's got 7,000 miles on it. Good heavens. I've got a Hattalia that is the most original one out of the 25 made. Still has the original tires still on it. Originality it means a lot to me and saving that. My dad restored cars. I remember people driving them in and I said, Dad, why are we going to 
paint that car. It looks good as it is. He said, I don't know. We're in the business of restoring cars. Just don't say anything. Where today, <laughs> you look at these cars and people say, well, when are you going to paint it? Well, never. Only if the car could talk and tell you about its life. And of course, the old saying, they're only original once. That's very true. But then thankfully, there are guys like you who do bring the dead back to life when there's no way that original is going to fly. We enjoy doing that. Sometimes, and it's like our TV show, you'll see it's not all about the nuts and bolts of the car. It's about the story. It's about the people. It's about the families. And I think that that's why our show has been so popular. We're not telling about how many horsepower, what the compression ratio is, which is good. There's other shows that do that and they're fine. We pull on your heartstrings and we invite you to come along with us on that journey. And I think that that's what's made us so popular. You're absolutely right. These cars do pull on our heartstrings. And like some people in our lives, some of them pull in the right direction and some pull in the wrong direction. They seem like a good idea going in, but man, after a while, you wish you'd never turn that key. Is there one car that somebody come to you and say, oh, I really love this car, Wayne. You say, run, don't walk away from that car. Well, there's quite a few of those cars and I won't get any one type of car enthusiast upset with me over the others. <laughs> but there are cars that sometimes you go, just no way. It all depends on the automobile, the story, everything about it. Some cars rot out so badly you know it's going to be just a can of worms once you start. What we do in the restoration business, why, again, we're so successful, is just that we just don't restore a car for a guy because he's got some money and he wants to spend it. We really try to lead him down the path of doing the right thing. So they'll bring it in. They'll say, hey, you know, just start on the project. I say, okay, you do realize this is going to be $300,000 when we're done. And the car is only going to be worth forty-five dollars to $50,000 if you wanted to sell it, unless somebody's buying the quality of the restoration. Just recently, I'll give you an example. There was a Rolls-Royce Cloud 3 that sold a regular standard saloon that sold for $375,000. That's a forty-five dollars to $50,000 car. I was going to say, that's a staggering amount of money for one of those, even though they're a remarkable artifact from the period. Nothing more regal and opulent. But there was two guys at an auction and they were buying the quality of the restoration mm -hmm. and they just kept going at it. Went over a hundred. I said, oh my gosh, what is going on? And then went over 200 and over 300. But they were buying the quality of the restoration and they were buying the restoration. And that's what's great about an auction is that when you want a car and you see it in front of you and it's that dream you've had or that car that you've always lusted after, you're willing to pay more money because you're also gaining a couple of years of your life that you're going to be able to enjoy that car. Whereas if you bought one and needed a restoration, it's going to be two years before you get it back. That's a very good point. You know better than anybody. Sometimes these cars celebrate quite a few birthdays in the restoration shop. Then there's other customers that love the process. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how much it's worth when it's done. It's the process of going through it and being part of it. I've restored cars for people. They've never driven them, but they love going through the process of it and talking with me once a week and seeing pictures and picking the colors out and making it happen. We just restored a car for David Robinson, the drummer of the cars. He had a Di Tommaso Mangusta. Gosh, I had one of those and I always wanted to restore it. I sold it right before they actually got too valuable. What a car. Yeah, great car. It sort of looked like to me the Mangusta Fantastic from the front door back. It looked like two 
different designers. Somebody designed the front end and then different designer designed the back because the back end is one of the most fabulous rear ends in a car I've ever seen. Isn't that something? Anyways, David went through the process of doing a two-year restoration and he doesn't know how to drive a stick shift. <laughs> and the car's been with me for seven months now after the restoration completed. He just loved the process, I think. And this is probably like asking Howard Hughes how much money he had in the bank, but how many cars do you think you've owned, Wayne? Oh, I don't know. Probably close to 300 over the years. I started trading in cars when I was actually 13 years old, <laughs> buying and selling. And I think probably one of the biggest thrills in buying and selling was when I had an MGB and a woman wanted to trade me for a 66 Corvette coupe for my MGB straight off. I asked my father and he says, it's your car. You can do anything you want to with it. But unfortunately, you won't be able to drive it. I said, why is that? He says, no one will insure a 16-year-old with a Corvette. He was right. But when it came to go to college, I said, so dad, how are we going to pay for college? He said, I'm not paying for college. You're going to sell that Corvette. You pay for your own college. <laughs> it taught me a lesson too, that cars are the most important things in your life. You got to sometimes give a car up for something that's very important. Boy, that's a good moral to the story. I'm going to actually engrave that one and put it on the wall. But speaking of all those cars, what's your 300 first going to be? Any idea? You got your eyes set on anything? Something you'd love to have in the garage? The one car I'd love to have, of course, is a short wheelbase Ferrari. I just think it's most fabulous looking and handling and driving car. But he says, you wouldn't want a GTO. And I said, I'd take a short wheelbase over a GTO any day, even though it's not worth probably one-tenth of what a GTO would be worth. But it's not the value. It's the way that the car drives. And a beautiful car, too. A beautiful shape. Pin and freeing at its best. Yeah, that's right. Just simple. Mm -hmm. The first one I restored was chassis 1741. and That did it for me. I like having things that no one else has, too. I like low production. People say, what car should I buy that's going to really be important and stuff? I say, buy the lowest production car you can find from the company. So if they only made 1500 that's the car to have. Low production, big horsepower, nothing like it. My cousin told me years ago, I said, isn't it too fast, Tommy? Isn't that car too fast? He says, they don't make a car too fast. They don't make a car with enough horsepower. It's that thrill, you know? Well, we'll keep that top of mind. Let's take a break and come back and talk about the here and the now. We'll be right back. A Moment of Your Time, a new podcast from Kurt Co Media. Currently 21 years old. And today, I felt like I'm magic read extended from her fingertips down to the you base of my spine. You have to take care spine. of yourself because the world needs you and Trust your Trust me, voice. every do-gooder that asked about me was ready to spit on my like dream. Her fingers were facing me. You can feel like your purpose and your worth is really being it's questioned. going to stop me from playing the piano. She buys walkie-talkies, wonders to whom she should give the second device. Cats don't love humans. We never did. We never will. We just find the ones that are... The beauty of rock climbing is that you can only focus on what's right in front of you. And so our American life begins. We may need to stay apart, but let's create together. Available on all podcast platforms. Submit your piece at kirkco.com slash a moment of your time. Well, I'm back with Wayne Carini, host of Chasing Classic Cars, who's taken some time out of his busy day at F40 Motorsports to talk with us about his passions. And we're going to talk about the market. Wayne, you got your crystal ball out? Yeah, well, <laughs> with values, people always ask me, what's the best car to buy? I want to buy a car 
I want to make money or I want to do this or that. And I always tell them, I said, buy what you want. Buy what you like, because no matter where the market goes, if the market went to zero tomorrow, money was worth nothing and your stock portfolio was zero, you go in that garage and you still have that car. That's an important thing. You don't want to buy something that your uncle told you to buy, your cousin, the guy down the street, buy what you like. And that's never failed us. People are very happy when they make that decision. Sometimes I don't like their choices, but yeah, that's what they like. And that's the best thing. That is probably the best advice in any collection. Arena. If you don't love it, you have no business owning it. It's got to be something that touches your heart. We're going through a very unusual time at this moment with everything that's going on in the world. And you think that the car market might be falling apart. It's just the opposite. We see the market be very strong at the moment. Our sales division is doing very well. We're selling cars all over the world. We're shipping a car to Denmark next week. One this Friday is going to Holland. The international market is still there, but things have changed. We're doing online auctions. Bring a Trailer has been doing very well. Meekum. They seem to be a hot topic these days, don't they? And boy, Meekum just hit one out of the park with that Shelby the other day. Monterey auctions are postponed, but yet RM is having their online auction for two days. Gooding's having his. Bonham's is having a very unique style auction where it's actually a live auction and they'll be auctioning them through their facility in Los Angeles. I just participated in a Bonham's tribal art auction precisely the same thing. The auctioneer was in LA and he was all there by his lonesome. It went off pretty well. I think it's going to do well. I just put a car in the bottoms auction for the Monterey sale and it's called the quail sale for them. Anything east of the Mississippi's going to a warehouse in New York and anything west of the Mississippi will go to their warehouse in Los Angeles so that you have an opportunity as a buyer to go and, and inspect the vehicle and do your due diligence rather than just sit on the phone and hope that you're going to get what you're seeing on the screen. Bring a Trailer has a very unique way of doing it where they let the pundits or the peanut gallery sort of regulate what the car is and what it is not, or the motorcycle or whatever truck. They've been in the ascendancy lately, especially with auction houses having to curtail their live auctions for the time being. So it'll be interesting to see if it sort of changes the whole model going forward. Yeah, we'll see how all this shakes out. But these things were coming. They were on the horizon, a change like this. And with what's happening in the world, we're pushed into it. And I think that we're reacting fairly well with it. Well, I'm glad to see that the collector car market and businesses like yours are still doing business and still engaging customers and buyers and sellers. That's exciting. But the collector demographic's changing too. Certainly there's some cars that were top of mind maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, and now it's hard to give them away. As the collector market as guys like us might end up being the older guys in the room now sometimes. What do you see on the horizon in terms of new collectors, in terms of their tastes? Do they still want the old cars? What are they enthused by? Where do you think things are going? My analogy for collecting cars is you sneak a beer when you're in high school, you drink shots when you're in college, and finally, when you get older and more sophisticated, drink fine wine. I think as long as a person is enthused about cars, no matter what it is, a young person likes Japanese cars because that's the cars that they really were brought up around. And a middle-aged person maybe likes 70s and 80s cars. 80s cars are really coming in. Boy, they are. And then, of course, as you get older, if you're a true car enthusiast, you like everything. Years ago, I always said, boy, brass cars are going to be sold for 
10 cents on the dollar pretty soon because all the people <laughs> that collect brass cars are going to be dead. Well, then suddenly brass cars became more popular than ever. And there was tours created for them, opportunities to actually use them. I think that has a lot to do with it. But as long as we get everyone enthused about it, no matter what the age group, I think that shows like my TV show have really helped our industry, bringing it to the forefront of families. Uh, I'm very proud to have a show where we don't swear. We don't throw anything at each other. There's no drama. It's just good, clean fun about cars. So we're very family oriented. So TV shows, no matter if it's ours, some of the others have brought automobiles to the world but in some way and fashion that has never been brought to them before. Unless you went to a car show yourself with your uncle or your father or your cousins or whatever, you really weren't introduced to collector cars. Now you just turn your TV on and then you can go online and buy a car from one of the major auction houses. So your involvement becomes more instantaneous by just doing that. It's something that I think is not going to go away. Will a 1921 Whippet four-door sedan be in fashion? Probably not. But yet, Duesenbergs, Packards, all the major corporation cars, if the top goes down, of course, then it's going to be worth even more. But it's a shame some cars will disappear. There's no doubt about it. Well, your observation about the brass era cars is gratifying because they were down for the count for a while, or everyone had assumed that there would be no interest for anything that old. But now they are such incredible dinosaurs, such incredible relics, and with rallies and opportunities to actually get them on the road in mass, there's nothing like traveling with your own kind. Again, it's like bringing a horse to water. He will drink. My grandson's four years old, and his two favorite cars in our collection are 1916 Pierce Arrow and our 1913 American Underslung. He loves those cars. And when I say which cars you want to go for a ride in today, Connor, those are the first two that he wants to go on. Well, that Underslung is a swanky looking car. It looked fast standing still. Great looking machine. That's for sure. That's a lucky kid to have a grandpa who can take him in cars like that. We were in the beach last year at Cape Cod, and a gentleman's walking by, and all of a sudden he looks up at him. And he says, hi, my name is Connor, and this is my papa. We smoke the tires. <laughs> and the guy says, what do you smoke the tires in? He says, well, Shelby GT350, what else? And I'm listening, and I'm shaking my head. I said, boy, this guy's really hooked on cars. I'm so fortunate. That's fantastic. Well, it is good, clean fun, and a great way to keep families together and engaged, and young minds constantly being filled with new facts and figures and great experiences. Wayne, it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate having you on the show and getting a little insight from a guy that gets out and about probably more than anybody else in the collector car business. Thank you very much for having me today, and it was a pleasure being with you. Thanks to Wayne Carini, host of Chasing Classic Cars and founder of F40 Motorsports, for joining us today on Cars That Matter. Come back next time as we continue to talk about the passions that drive us and the passions we drive. This episode of Cars That Matter was hosted by Robert Ross, produced by Chris Porter, edited by Chris Porter, sound engineering by Michael Kennedy, theme song by Celeste and Eric Dick, additional music and sound by Chris Porter. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. I'm Robert Ross, and thanks for listening. Kurt Co. Media. Media for your mind.